Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 23 of the Lawyerist Podcast, a weekly podcast about lawyering and law practice. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes or using your favorite podcast app, or you can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. If you enjoy our show, we would really appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and give us a rating in iTunes. Today's podcast is sponsored by Postali. Postali is a marketing agency for attorneys that will help you push your firm forward. Learn more about Postali by visiting postali.com slash lawyerist. Postali is spelled P-O-S-T-A-L-I. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Smokeball, which automates the documents and forms you use every day and gives you a digital filing system in the cloud. Visit smokeball.com slash lawyerist to learn more. So, Aaron, today I want to talk about uh, a post that I just published today that comes from the blog Lawyers, Guns, and Money, which is one of the best-named law blogs out there. And by today, of course you mean a few days ago because our podcast takes a few days to produce. Right. I'm sitting yeah, in the... Yeah. I'm, so, so I'm, today. I'm sitting in the TARDIS right now. Um, so, so I posted this, uh, and the title is Three Charts That so- Show Solo Practice Doesn't Pay Like It Used To. And what these charts show is just a precipitous drop in solo practitioner income since 1988, which is the beginning of the chart. And there's a sharp drop through about 2001 or 2002, and then a steady but slightly less crazy drop from then until 2012. And I don't, I don't really know how to make it, how to feel good about that. It's actually kind of a depressing set of charts for the value, you know, the the economics of going solo. Yeah. So, like, we spent a lot of years at Lawyerist working with folks like Carolyn Elephant, who are really excited about solo law practice and we want to help lawyers become better at running their businesses. But I don't know that we have to just be like naive optimists about going solo being this great economic boon for people. I th- I think it might be a shitty economic prep proposition for most people. Well, I mean, you know, we've we've seen that bimodal salary distribution chart for years from NALP and yeah, I mean, most solos are in the left-hand hump, which is not a really great place to be. I think it's most sixty-five percent or so of lawyers earn like forty to sixty-five thousand dollars before taxes, which is not great. I mean, you can do better at a fast food joint managing a fast food restaurant. So, I, I guess it's always been true that, like many things, most people, maybe most people, shouldn't go solo. It's not for everybody, at least. Yeah, and the thing that's not even captured in these charts, which obviously no one can see over our podcast, but they can see the pictures through the links through the show notes, um, is that this also doesn't even capture the increasing burden of student loan debt service, and that if you're making forty grand a year as a solo lawyer and paying $1,000 a month in order to get your law degree. Yep. You're kind of I mean, toast. I I guess when I started my practice, one of the things that I kept saying 
um, to my wife and that she kept reminding me is that we firmly believed that if you worked your ass off, you could make a decent living as a lawyer. And it turns out that's true. It's just that if you, most people who work their asses off will only make a decent living or maybe not even a decent living as a lawyer, as a solo anyway. Um, most people will get stuck in that spot where they're getting by but not getting ahead. So is the answer that you need to like read a bunch of business books and differentiate yourself so that you can be the one in 10 who makes six figures and breaks free? Or is the answer that you should just enjoy being a lawyer even if it doesn't pay better than working at a restaurant? Well, I think the answer is if you really want this to be a career and you want to make money and you hope to retire someday, you have to go in with a business plan and a strategy. I mean, you, you can't you can't just um, work your ass off and count on retiring comfortably. Working your ass off may just be spinning your wheels if you don't have a plan. So, you know, I, I think I think what it says to me is that if you're gonna go solo and you don't want to be at the bottom of that slide or you don't want to be on that left hump in the NALP chart, uh, you need a strategy and you need a way to get over into the right portion of the chart where you're actually making the kind of money you thought you'd be making as a lawyer. And it, it's totally possible. Um, I, I was over there. Um, I know lots of lawyers who are over there. It's not like it's impossible, but it takes time and experience and it takes a plan, I think. So um, so I guess it's uh, don't be naive. You can't just hang a shingle and expect to make Boku bucks anymore. Yeah, I think there are plenty of valid career opportunities for folks. I think this is mostly just further evidence that the vast majority of people should not be going to law school right now. Well, it's the vast majority of people shouldn't be going to law school. And just like in other small business, the vast majority of people have no business starting one. Um, you know, what is it? 10% of small businesses last five years. I think what this shows is that 10% of solo practices last five years, but the other 90% may just limp along for a long, long, long time afterwards. Here's my takeaway, Sam. Go. Law blogs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, you got to start ex- compete with us. Law <laughs> blogs are the future. <laughs> there you go. All right. So on, the, on that, uh, maybe not all that optimistic and somewhat depressing note, <laughs> oh no let's move. we don't want to do that this is like a good interview it is a good interview uh what what can we do to turn this around before it's too late i think we just need to start the interview oh today i'm talking to bob young the outgoing chair of the aba law practice division and here's that interview hi bob welcome to the lawyerist podcast uh thanks sam glad to be here Great. Um, I'm glad to have you here. And uh, I'd like to start, as I always do, by having you give us your own elevator speech. Give us your bio and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a practicing lawyer in uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, The easiest way to describe where Bowling Green is, it's about uh, 60 miles north of Nashville and about 100 miles south of Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I've been uh, practicing here at English Lucas Priest and Owsley. Uh, for about 25 years, we're a uh, full-service law firm uh, doing work uh, in uh, both uh, Kentucky and Tennessee. I'm licensed in uh, both states. 
Uh, I have primarily a personal injury practice where my focus is on medical malpractice cases and pharmaceutical litigation. Uh, I often say I'm a plaintiff's lawyer in a defense uh, law firm, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I got my start uh, handling uh, insurance defense cases and did that for about 10 or 12 years. And then at some point in time, I decided to uh, switch and and, uh, go to the plaintiff's side. And for about the last uh, uh, 10 or so years, I I exclusively represent uh, uh, people who have been injured as a result of uh, various types of accidents, but most recently handled uh, all of my cases involve uh, either uh, pharmaceutical uh, injury cases or uh, medical malpractice cases. So that's interesting. So I bet I bet your business doesn't come from the other partners at the firm very much then, huh? Your clients? Well, a lot of it does. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, and I often explain, you know, some of the best cases that we have had have been, uh, you know, referrals from other lawyers in the office. Hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of times they may not uh, be interested in, in hiring a lawyer that they, you know, they see on TV or, you know, they read about in the newspaper, but they're uh, comfortable and, and like to have a lawyer in our firm represent them and, uh, and because they've had that working background with other lawyers in the office. So some of our best uh, you know, cases that we've had in the past are, are referrals from maybe some of our corporate clients or some of our other clients who, who have a, uh, you know, feel comfortable working with other lawyers in the firm. And, and, and so I, I, I do get a lot of referrals through other lawyers in the office, but uh, most of my referrals, uh, because there are a limited number of uh, people in the area that handle medical malpractice and pharmaceutical cases, most of those referrals come from other lawyers or through uh, social media uh, that we've tried to develop over the last uh, few years. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, uh, I, so I, I always thought it was just Elpo Law <laughs> because I've seen your firm on Twitter. And uh, um, uh, so that that's actually developing business for you guys. It is, most definitely. We actually went through a, a rebranding about uh, when I was I was former managing partner of our office. And uh, during my term as managing partner, we went through a rebranding. It's, it's kind of funny because everybody in the community always knew us as Elpo. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot easier to say than English Lucas Priest and Owsley. And so when we went through our rebranding, uh, we kind of used that. And, uh, uh, and Elpo Law is a lot easier to find. It's really helped with the branding. It's really helped with the social media. So And people recognize it when you say it. <laughs> they do. They, they do. And, uh, you know, we developed a logo around it, and, and it's been very helpful and uh, very beneficial. So when you say you get business from social media, um, how? What, what's the firm doing to make that happen? Uh, you know, a lot of uh, lawyers uh, get a lot of uh, business through LinkedIn. That, you know, I'm very uh, involved in LinkedIn, but really have not got a lot of business through that. Most of my business has come through uh, through Facebook. I'll be honest with you, it's, it's kind of odd, but uh, I often say, and have, I've talked about this before, but, you know, but lawyer referrals, uh, it's about developing relationships with lawyers uh, and, and even non-lawyers. Uh, and, and so I have found that Facebook is a, is a terrific way to, uh, uh, to develop uh, those types of relationships that, you know, used to be done through a lunch meeting or a face-to-face meeting, but uh, I think Facebook is a, a fabulous way to, uh, uh, to develop relationships that have uh, led to business. So is that through your personal Facebook account or through your firm's page? It, it's, it's, through the, uh, it's through my f- personal Facebook account. So uh, you know, one, of the folk, you know, one of the problems that I have being a uh, plaintiff's lawyer in a defense law firm is that you, know, you can't advertise. And so one of the ways that I've tried to do is, is to let my personal friends know and, and lawyer friends that I have developed uh, relationships with through Facebook that you know the type of work that I do. And so when the time comes that they need a you know, lawyers to look at their medical malpractice case or the pharmaceutical case, they know to reach out to me since, uh, you know, I have let them know through my Facebook that that's what I do. Interesting. So, it, so it's really 
um, just another kind of word of mouth for you, it sounds like. I think it's another kind of word of mouth, and, and more importantly, it's uh, it's another way to develop a great relationship. I, that's interesting to hear. So um, you said you were the practice management committee chair at your firm at one point, right? That, that, that's correct. What we did, uh, you know, our firm now has 26 lawyers, and uh, uh, when I first started about 25 years ago, we had 11, and, and so we've had a, you know, a lot of growth over the last uh, a few years. And so, one of the things that became more difficult when we when we grew is, uh, you know, we had different areas of practice, and so about. Uh, uh, you know, I lose track of time, but probably about 10 or 12 years ago when we had some substantial growth, uh, we divided the uh, law firm into practice groups. Uh, and at that point in time, we kind of uh, divided up the structure of the firm. And so we had uh, what we called the practice management committee, which was kind of an executive committee that ran the firm uh, and oversaw the practice groups. And then we had a, uh, a, a, a person that was called the practice management chair that kind of worked with the, the the different practice groups coordinated their work, uh, and we uh, kind of uh, uh, took those responsibilities away from the managing partner who, who did the ran the day-to-day business of the firms. And so, uh, for six years, I served as uh, practice management chair of the, of the firm and, and worked with our practice groups. And then I also spent another three years as the managing partner of the firm. So, when you're growing from 11 to 26, what's your strategy on hiring? Are you hiring associates to do work, or are you hiring, um, you know, people who are or could be are going to be automatically or could become partners who can bring in their own book of business or is it a mix? Uh, it's kind of a mix, and so you know, it, you know, we're kind of uh, our community is about eighty thousand people. We have a university here, and so we've kind of uh, looked at it two ways. One of which is you know we've hired for need, and so you know when we've had the need, we've tried to reach out and hire somebody, but we've always hired people that had. Uh, Partner, partner potential, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm still a big believer that, you know, one of the most important things that you do is your quality of, of work. And so, you know, when you're hiring an attorney, you want to make sure it's somebody who's going to have good quality work. That doesn't mean they have to have a book of business, but somebody down the road you would hope would have a book of business, but, you know, uh, would do real good quality work. The other thing that we've always kind of done here, uh, we've had two very good uh, hires within our office where they just moved to our town because they had a spouse they maybe got a job at Western or got a job in the community. And so, you know, when those uh, folks become available to us and we know, even if we don't have a need, but we know the, you know, the quality of the person and the quality of the lawyer, we've always hired those. And, and those have been some of our best decisions where normally we may not hire someone based on the need we have, but we know, you know, the quality of the work that we're going to get out of that lawyer. And we've always taken advantage of that opportunity. And I suppose as you pick up a little bit of size, you can absorb that sort of a thing that, you know, there's going to be a bump in the road while they, while their business picks up, I suppose, but you can absorb that better when you're at 20, 25 lawyers than when you're at 11 or five, I suppose, right? That's correct. It's been a little bit easier, but to be honest with you, some of those folks were hired back when we were 11 or 12 lawyers. And, hmm. and, and to the extent that, you know, you hire someone who is good, that person has always worked out well for us. Uh, even if they don't come in with a book of business, you know they're going to develop a book of business or, you know, you have a, a lot of work within the firm that you can, you can give to them. But uh, we have never regretted, uh, even if we didn't have a need, hiring someone that was high quality that was moving to town because it has always worked out well for Sometimes us. You just got to take a bet on somebody who you have confidence in. Then that, that you're exactly yeah. exactly right. So, uh, so this is one of my favorite questions, and I'll try not to get too deep in the weeds on it. But I, you know, I'm a tech geek, and so I always like to know how firms are managing their practice with technology. Right. So, what do you? I mean, well, let's start with uh, practice management software. Do you guys use any? 
Well, some some of our groups do, and some that some that don't. And uh, oh. you know, I hope none of my partners listen to this, but I will be. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to be frank. I think that the ones that use the uh, practice management software are, are more efficient and have done a, done a great job with it. So, uh, we use in our, in our plaintiffs group is uh, the one that uses the practice management software more than others. We use Needles, uh, and have been very very happy, and it's worked really really well for us from a uh, personal injury standpoint. We actually have a uh, you know a personal injury group within our firm. Uh, uh, and you had mentioned our website earlier, Elpo Law. But if you also Google uh, personal injury, uh, Elpo Law, we within the last uh, year or two have developed a, uh, a personal injury website, which was a big step for our firm because of you know the the, the fact that we are a defense uh, corporate type firm. Uh, our partners made the decision that we would like to help improve our SEO, and so we made the decision to uh, to, to to create a separate uh, personal injury website, and so uh, that now exists. It's really helpful as it go, but we have a a very large uh, five or six lawyer. Uh, uh, practice group within our firm. I don't mean to get away from your question, uh, oh, but right. Needles has worked out really, really well for that group. So you're not in the cloud. Needles is old school software, right? Where you must uh, have your own file server. Uh, that's correct. We actually have, we we work with a company uh, out of Nashville that actually uh, handles all of our IT. We used to have an IT person, uh, but we work with a uh, a company out of uh, Nashville that actually uh, helps with all of our IT, does all of our work, and and basically uh, all of our uh, business goes onto their server. Gotcha. But but you're all you're you're hosting it with them, but you're still you're not using cloud services. You're doing that's most correct. of it that that's way. That's correct. Okay. Everything is hosted through them. And I, so I assume you're probably using an exchange server or something for email as well. Uh, we use uh, Outlook uh, through our yep. email, but we use Citrix, uh, to, obviously, to load everything through the, uh, through the company in Nashville. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I, I, I totally interrupted you. Uh, it, I'm, I guess I've got my Court of Appeals judge hat on today. I interrupted you halfway through your bio. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Before you got to talk about the other reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast, which is that you are the chair, you're currently, uh, for a few more months, the chair of the law practice division at the American Bar Association, right? That's correct. That term will end in uh, August. At the end of August, right? Uh, actually, we have our annual meeting in uh, the beginning of August this year. Sometimes it's different parts, but it's, uh, it's uh, I think our annual meeting is around the second or third of uh, August, and uh, there will be a new chair that will take over at that point in time. Yeah, and the, and the new chair will be Tom Bolt, who we're also hoping to have on fairly soon. But, uh, that is correct. Well, okay, so here's my question. This, this is a big this is a compound question. <laughs> I'd like to know more about the, the LPD, uh, the Law Practice Division, because I, um, I love going to tech show, um, and, I, and I believe the Law Practice Division has something to do with tech show, um, but I haven't heard a whole lot about it, and I don't really understand much about the inner workings of that. So maybe you could just start by saying, what is the Law Practice Division, and how does it relate to tech show, and what else is, in, in, what else is included in the, the LPD? Sure. So, you know, one of the issues that we have uh, been dealing with uh, with the law practice division over the you know the last few years is it's a it's a uh, branding rebranding effort that that we've actually gone through. So, not only have I been involved in terms of rebranding a law firm, but you know I went through and, and uh, helped with the, uh, the the rebranding of the uh, law practice division. Uh, we used to be known as the uh, uh, you know dealing with. Uh, uh, Law firm uh, management, and everybody thought it was a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a basically a, uh, uh, you know, they only help managing partners. But we really have four core areas that we address, and uh, they're law firm marketing, law firm management, 
uh, law firm finance and law firm technology. And so technology is only, you know, one of the four core areas that we, uh, that we do, and obviously the tech show is, is a large part of what we uh, of what we do for law firm technology. Uh, but we also address issues with uh, with finance and management and marketing. Uh, and so we used to be, you know, uh, a, a section that really uh, just dealt with uh, law. Everybody thought we dealt with law firm management, but we uh, underwent a rebranding a couple of years ago and, and changed their name to the law practice division uh, to to basically let uh, folks know that we're a lot more than just. Uh, you know, a, a training ground for managing partners, but we also help with marketing and management and finance and technology. And so, uh, I, you know, hopefully the word's starting to get spread, but it's obvious that, that it's not. And, and But that's one of the things that I really tried to concentrate on, on over the last year is, is help with that rebranding to spread the word that, uh, you know, we could, we think that every every practicing lawyer could, could benefit from becoming a member of the law practice division. And so there's... There's a few different things that the LPD does, right? There's Tech Show and there's the Law Practice Magazine. That's correct. Um, so what, th- what else is there? We have a we have a number of delivery boards, and so there's a lot that we do, you know, related to our four core areas. So, you know, one of the things that we do as it relates to law firm technology, we do, we actually do several things, and obviously Tech Show is, is a huge, uh, you know, is a huge effort for us. And uh, you know, uh, obviously you were you were at Tech Show and did a great job on the uh, on the uh, on the app panel. Uh, we enjoyed having you there. So Tech Show is great for us. It continues to grow every year. And as uh, you know, one of the other things I've tried to explain is that you know, law firm. Uh, the tech show is a lot more than just about technology because technology also touches all four of our core areas, whether it be you know the mm-hmm. marketing and in terms of social media, whether it be managing your firm or whether it be law firm finance. You get all all of those when you when you come to tech show. So it's a lot more than just about technology. So tech show is a large part. We also do the uh, the Legal Technology Resource Center. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to that website, but it's LTRC uh, for anybody that may be listening to the podcast. But if you just mm-hmm. Google ABA LTRC, it's a Available to anyone, and we'll put the link in our show notes. So don't, don't worry great. about that. I appreciate that. So whether or not you're inside the AB, ABA, outside the ABA, it's a benefit that's available to anyone. It's it's cutting edge, up to date type thing. Josh Posey, Posey, who is our our director, has done a terrific job. That was his home for many years, and and LTRC is is a valuable benefit for anybody to go to to, to keep up with what's going on in the legal technology world. Uh, so those are the big things. We also, uh, uh, as it relates to some of the other things we do, is that uh, we have a Women Rainmakers Board uh, that uh, we used to have a, uh, a conference every other year, but they also do local programming where we've had hundreds of uh, hundreds of programs that have been put on over the last uh, few years. Uh, they're mostly put on in law firms uh, throughout uh, cities in the United States, and those have been terrific in terms of the programming and the, and the people that have attended those women rainmaking uh, workshops and, uh, and meetings. Uh, we also do a lot of CLE through our ed board, uh, uh, just cutting edge uh, CLE, whether it be you know, how to do an iPad, how to run a law firm, uh, those sorts of things. We also do the magazine, and what actually drew me to the division was the magazine. Uh, there's an app for it, uh, the Law Practice Magazine. You can you can get that by app. Uh, if you're a member of the uh, of the Law Practice Division, then if you will receive that magazine as one of the benefits. And it has some terrific columns, uh, and it is a terrific magazine if you're a practicing lawyer. Once again, you don't have to be running a law firm, but if you're a practicing lawyer, Every issue has something on law firm marketing, management, finance, and technology. Uh, we also do a webzine called the Law Practice Today uh, that goes to every. It used to just to go to members of uh, the Law Practice Division. 
but uh, within the last few years, the ABA was going through a dues increase, and we reached out to the ABA and said, hey, you know, the law practice uh, web scene is, is a terrific uh, uh, benefit that we would like to give to every member of the ABA. And so now every member of the ABA gets our uh, law practice uh, today web zine, uh, and we're also now pushing it out to every uh, every law school uh, that would like to participate, sending it to uh, to all of their students. Yeah. Uh, and the last thing, and I know you're probably tired of hearing me talk about everything that we do, but we also uh, put out a large number of books every year. Uh, a lot of them right. deal with uh, the other, uh, you know, the, the four core areas that I've, that, that I've talked about. But, uh, you know, uh, whether it be books on iPad, uh, I know that was the, the woman Rainmakers just put out a terrific book on uh, on generating uh, work, uh, work uh, you know, whether it be Microsoft Word, whether it be PC Law, whether it be running a law firm, uh, we publish a, a large number of books and, and have some great authors who uh, who are really up to date with what's going on. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the books. I got a quick question for you. Sure. Because this, this is the first thing that I always hear when it comes to books that the ABA publishes. Why are they so damn expensive? Well, you know what? One of the things we're trying. One of the things that was very, very successful for us is that that won our books, uh, and so you know. I, you know but the short and titious span is kind of like I have. I, you know, I think every <laughs> one-hour book that was published, you know, I have read it, every single one of them. And so one of the things that we did with the one-hour books is that we tried to uh, to lower the cost. Uh, so those were very beneficial not only for us but for our consumers because we were able to lower the uh, the prices on that. Is, I'll be honest is the with cost you, because is it because of the printing costs for you? Uh, you know, a lot of it was the printing cost. Uh, and so one of the things, uh, I'm just going to be blunt, is there have been a lot of issues with ABA publishing. And so there was a point in time that we went outside the ABA to publish our books uh, because hmm. we found it was cheaper to do that. And so we were trying to lower the cost of some of our books by doing that. Uh, there has been just a total transformation within the ABA now within its publishing department, and so we have gone back inside the ABA uh, to be able to publish our books. And one of the the ways, one of the reasons we went back in is because of the way they redid things. We could get a discounted rate on terms of our publishing, the costs associated with publishing, and so our hope is that our cost of our books will be coming down because of that decision. Well, I've noticed I've started seeing the books on Amazon finally too, and even available for Kindle. For Kindle, that, that, which that's is correct, nice. and, and that's one of the other advantages of coming back in within ABA Publishing because of their changes. We were able to to make those offerings, which are you know not only helpful to our authors to get their books out, but it's also helpful to our consumers because uh, you know as you mentioned, you know you've had the opportunity to read some of the books. They're they're just really top notch in the in the areas uh, that that have been covered by them. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm lazy. I won't if it's not on Kindle. I probably won't read it. So, <laughs> um, well, cool. Um, so, and so the Legal Technology Resource Center is free, and I notice um, among other, th- I, I'm kind of looking at the um, the website while we're talking too, um, just to refresh my memory here. And it, it's it's basically a huge, um, among other things, it's a huge buyer's guide to what's available out there for lawyers, right? That's correct. That's correct. And, you know, there are a lot of reviews that are done, uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of you know the, the, the buying guide is, is absolutely really uh, really terrific. Uh, it's it has just grown over the years. Uh, it's a terrific uh, you know uh, if you're looking to buy something in the legal technology field, the buyer's guide is a is a great resource uh, for, for anyone you know trying to make those purchases. So, so as you look back over your almost year, what what would you say that um, the the law practice division and you have accomplished this last year? Oh, you know, the, you know, sometimes I think we have failed, but you know, some of the biggest things that we have done is is you know is trying to get that rebranding effort out there, and mm-hmm. so. 
that is a uh, you know that's that's been a big hurdle, but I, but I think the word is starting to spread as to all of the things that the uh, the uh, the law practice division does, and so I've spent a lot of time over the over the last year trying uh, to promote that. We've had a very very successful tech show. Um, I can't tell you how successful it was. Our, our tech show board did an absolutely uh, ter- terrific job with the programming, and, and as I'm sure you were since you were there, I mean, it just oh, we had a great time. It just continues to grow, and, and you know you just you learn so much when you attend. So uh, that was very very helpful. Uh, we just do you, do you know how meeting. many people? Do you know how many people were at Tech Show this year? I think, uh, including our vendors and, and our attendees, uh, close. I think uh, somewhere between eighteen hundred and nineteen hundred folks. Yeah, I don't think so, people realize how just how big it is until they go. That they, uh, I know I didn't until I went, and uh, it, it is amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. you, I, I love just spending time out on the floor. I mean, obviously the speakers are terrific, but you learn so much just walking the the floor with all the vendors just to see what all is available. I, almost, I told somebody uh, when I was there this year, I almost felt like when you go, it, it's there's so much there. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming in that you feel like you may be committing uh, technology bound practice because of all the stuff that's available that you don't feel like you're doing. But, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but you know, you, in order to, you know, to succeed in today's business, you have to keep up to date, especially those sorts of things. So I think it's just imperative that, that, that someone from your, if you're a practicing lawyer, someone from your office needs to be a tech show every year. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the IT person. Uh, it, it could be, be anyone because as I mentioned earlier, you know, the tech show is a lot more than just about law firm technology because of all of the, all of the uh, different areas that it encompasses. Right. Okay. So, so the rebranding effort and tech show obviously takes up some of your time. And so what else? Uh, so uh, you know, we just, just finished a terrific meeting in, uh, in, in Orlando. We have uh, uh Two meetings every year. So we had our fall meeting in uh, San Diego, and we just finished our spring uh, law practice meeting in uh, uh, in Orlando Disney World. Has some terrific programming. Uh, we actually had a, a program. Uh, one of the things that we've tried to do in the law practice division is just stay cutting edge on, on everything that we we do as it relates to those four core areas that I mentioned earlier. The tech Show is a great example of that. Uh, and, and so uh, Tom Grella, who is uh, very active within the division, put together a program this year. Uh, called Imagineering the Future Law Office, uh, and we put together some some great panelists. And we also ho- had uh, Joe Tankersley, who had worked for Disney for 20 years as a, a futurist, to come in and basically talk to us about how things are are changing, not only in the legal world but just the the world in terms of the millennials and uh, the workforce, office space, that sort of thing. So it was just a, a, a terrific program, and we hope to uh, continue with that. Uh, I know President Hubbard from the ABA has had a a task force that he has put together on the, on the future of, of the law practice. And uh, we hope that a lot, when his year is up, that a lot of what he does falls back within the division because we would like to uh, to run with it to, to make sure that we uh, help everybody uh, stay up to date on, on how the uh, how law offices and law practices are, are changing every year. Can we go off on a tangent and can you, can you talk about that and sum it up? Like what, what sorts of, uh, what sorts of, Tell us about the picture he drew of the what the law practice of the future is going to look like. Uh, yeah, so let, I mean, I, I, I basically just uh, I took some terrific notes. So let me just kind of talk to talk about some of those uh, for a second. So uh, one of the things that uh, you know it, 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 it has really impacted uh, 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 the legal practice, especially the smaller firms, is the, the the competition that you get from those outside the. Uh, the legal business, for example, like companies like LegalZoom or some of the other companies, uh, that not only is competition coming from lawyers, but uh, what we anticipate seeing now 
But what we have seen and seen in the future is that the, uh, the folks outside the legal field are figuring out ways to maybe to do things better because they don't think like lawyers do all the time, which you know, it seems like we get in a rut a lot of times in the ways that we think. And, and so a lot of the competition is going to come from, from those outside the, uh, the legal field. Uh, millennials by 2025, by 2025 will represent 40% of the workforce. And these are statistics that came from, from Joe. And uh, as we know from millennials, they basically change everything that they touch and the way that everything that is done and, you know, the a way of the millennial thinks, I just turned 50, is much different from not only the way I think, but from, you know, a lot of the senior partners that have run law firms uh, for years. And so the, the statistic I found interesting is by 2025, there will be five generations, five different generations in the workforce. And, you know, mentors may be a younger lawyer mentoring a older lawyer in terms of the way that lawyer is doing things. It's always, you know, been vice versa, but with the different generations and the way the millennials are, are going to impact law firms, it may be younger people uh, kind of basically mentoring older people. Uh, one of the things he anticipates is that, you know, by 2020, that 40% of the uh, workforce will be contingent workers, freelancers, kind of independent workers that want to do things on their own. And so a lot of times, instead of hiring lawyers, we may be hiring people to do tasks uh, that work outside the firm and that that's kind of the trend uh, uh, and, and that you know, one of the difficulties is going to be managing people that are doing tasks outside of the, uh, basically outside of the firm. So those are a lot of the statistics that he gave us. He, he felt that, uh, you know, there are some disruptors that we could be uh, facing in the next 10 years. His two biggest disruptors that he felt we would be facing were climate change and uh, the unfunded pensions that most of the states had and how that was really going to impact all of us and, and the economies and the you know, the funding that we get from uh, from the government. So he, he thought that those were going to be two major disruptors. Uh, are you taking any of that back to your own firm? I, you know, I, uh, ironically, this morning I brought, uh, you know, sent an email uh, with the uh, with all of the points that I had. It's about uh, about 13 different things, and I sent it out to everybody in the office to get them to start uh, start thinking about uh, how all of this is going to change things. You know, I've, I've noticed, I, I go to a fair amount of conferences, uh, most of which are centered around practice management. And, I, you know, you get people in a room together and you get everybody all fired up about um, they need to learn and they, and they do learn and they get ideas. And I feel like so few lawyers actually take that back to their firm and do something with it because the day-to-day reality of practicing law is dealing with the next phone call, drafting the next motion, um, you know, f- putting together the next complaint or contract or whatever it is. And, and that stuff never really happens. It seems to me that one of the hardest things to get lawyers to do is to make an investment of time for the future of their practice. Does that square with your experience? No, you're exactly working? right. I'm, I, yeah. I mean, I don't can't tell you how many times you know we've been through. A, so you, you you have a law firm retreat. You come up with a lot of good ideas, but then implementing is, is always a, a big issue. Uh, I spoke at the uh, managing partners conference in Atlanta, uh, you know, a few week a few months back. And I, I will say, and I think you would probably agree with me that you know I've been practicing 25 years. I haven't seen things change as much as they did have within the last four or five years. It seemed like I practiced for 20 years, things kind of changed a little bit, but like in the last four or five years, things have just changed dramatically. And I, you know, uh, and so 
uh, you know, I think that lawyers are going to have to keep up to date. They're going to have to start thinking outside the box. And if they don't invest in, in, in going to these conferences and keeping up to date and, and doing what they need to do in terms of the, you know, the technology, that I, I'm just really concerned they're going to going to struggle. And and that was kind of the theme of uh, of what we heard from this legal shark tank that we had put together. Hmm. Well, that sounds about right. Um, what I mean, what would you say to somebody who's not a member of the American Bar Association and hearing about the law practice division for the first time? What's the what's your best pitch for somebody getting joining and getting involved? Well, I mean, you know, the, the ABA has evolved over the years too, and, and so you know, the, a lot of the blame in terms of uh, you know the declining membership in the ABA or you know the the branding that we're going through is that we have to, got to spread the the word in terms of the good things that we do, um, and, and so you know, for less than you know seven hundred dollars a year, if you're a young lawyer, the, the cost is minimal, uh, but you know, just to, you've got to folks are going to have to it's, ABA the law practice division is terrific networking, uh, you know. One of the reasons that I uh, joined the Law Practice Division was I joined when I was a managing partner in my office, and so I wanted that experience. But one of the things I had learned over the last few years is it's a lot more than just law firm management. It's a lot more than just you know a lawyer from another state uh, sending you business. And so you know when, when we got ready to do the rebranding here in our office, uh, you know a few years ago, and then. The last couple of years when we created the Plaintiff's website really got involved into the social media. The first people that I went to were the people that I had met within the law practice division. And so, you know, a lot of the, you know, whether it be a lawyer or whether it be a, a, a great consultant, uh, they all join the, the, the ABA or they may join the law practice division, you know, for a reason. And so I had at my fingertips through great relationships I had met with people through the ABA, uh, someone to help us create the website, someone to help us to do the rebranding, someone to help do the social media, someone to help shoot the videos of, uh, you know, we're getting ready to put on our website. And so all those people, they were all folks that I met through the, uh, through the ABA and through the law practice division. So great relationships, uh, that I was able to, you know, to, to, to garner through uh, just being involved, uh, but even if you don't want to develop those relationships and you can't go to the meetings, you know the law practice magazine that we talked about every month or every uh, every other month has great information about you know marketing, management, finance, and technology that you really can't get anywhere else. And so, I know one of the the concerns I had when I was managing part of my office is that there weren't a lot of resources that were available to you in terms of you know they didn't teach you in law school how to how to run a law firm. And so one of the things that we're trying to do through the law practice division is to tell you how to law, run a law firm, tell you how to, you know, to run a practice group, you know, what technology that you need, what you need to do to try to market yourself. And so, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, one, we, we try to stay on cutting edge. The Shark Tank was a prime example of, of that uh, meeting last week. And so, uh, you know, I, I think if you're a practicing lawyer, that everybody could benefit from being a member of the uh, law practice division of the ABA. Sounds good. Um, well, Bob, let me last ask you one last thing. Is there anything you were hoping I'd ask you about that I didn't get to? You've done a wonderful job, Sam. I, I certainly appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks to Postali for sponsoring this episode of The Lawyerist Podcast. Instead of reading from a script today, I've got Jim Christie from Postali with a story about how stressful it can be to spend money on marketing. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Um, one of the most stressful times for us early in the business was I was 
sitting in my office just hand stamping hundreds of these large catalog envelopes and just thinking, is it always as terrifying? So Jim is describing Postali's first big advertising expense. He says the terrifying part was wondering if the money he was spending would pay off. Jim, tell me, what was it about that moment that created so much stress for you? Well, this was several years ago, and at the time we were a really small company, just a couple of people trying to build a business. And cash was really tight. Uh, so like any small business, we just couldn't afford to invest in advertising that didn't work. So what was your plan? Well, we defined our market. So fortunately, we knew the market really well. Uh, unfortunately, no one had heard of us. So we're having a really hard time getting anyone to engage with us, uh, especially if we were just cold calling on the phone. Uh, so we created some really specific direct mail pieces. Uh, all in for the mail, we were right around $4,000 in total cost. Uh, now, we had every expectation that it would pay off, but that didn't stop me from totally freaking out when I was thinking about losing this four grand. In other words, making an investment in marketing is stressful, even for the guys in the marketing business. But that stress can be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. The people who were stamping those envelopes with me then are still at post and we all remember the mix of excitement and fear as we were taking that big plunge. Uh, and it's those experiences that we just always call back to, and they really allow us to understand how our clients are feeling when they come to us full of ambition and anxiety. Um, you know, they want to grow their firm, and that's motivating to us. We really want to be there when it's time to push your firm forward, and we want to be the people that you lean on when you're having those stressful moments and you're afraid that you can't do it. So Postali is a marketing agency for attorneys that will help you push your firm forward. Learn more about them by visiting postali.com slash lawyerist. That's P-O-S-T-A-L-I. This podcast is also brought to you by Smokeball. Smokeball is the engine that powers successful small law firms across the country, each serving their clients with lightning speed, efficiency, and excellence. Because they finally have a tool that organizes their files, creates a standard process, eliminates errors, and gives them the peace of mind to practice. The Smokeball team has spent over 22 years learning how to train and support the staff of small law practices. Their proprietary setup and training process immerses their team in your business and workflow, giving them an intimate understanding of what you need the Smokeball software to do. With over 115 different matter types, Smokeball collects exactly the information you need to execute your work, including multiple parties on a case, business entities, and marital partners. Then it merges your client and case information into the unique documents, forms, and PDFs you use most often, all the while storing client emails back to the digital file as they are sent or received, keeping you effortlessly organized and ready to take on each client call with ease. Smokeball empowers your small law firm to manage emails and documents easily, create documents faster by automating the documents and forms you use every day, and gives you a digital filing system in the cloud so your staff can work together from anywhere. Visit smokeball.com lawyerist to learn more. To make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.